27 of blah 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 i am don tony it is march 10th 2018 i want to thank you all for listening as always you know got a, a very cool story behind that song that i played as the intro maybe that intro will stick around for a little while um that group is out of australia and that song's about 17 years old and i have said for so many years that i have the greatest listeners of all amongst independent radio independent podcast because that's basically what I've been doing the last 20 years. I have my own independent voice. I have my own independent views. I go by the beat of my own drum. Nobody is going to change the, any of my beats. I'm not going to conform to other people because they have more relaxed views or maybe they can't keep up with me or maybe they don't have the same drive or the same thought process or the same religious or political views. I express how I feel. And if you don't like it, don't listen. But I have learned over the years, and I can't believe this is the 20th year of doing what I do, that I may have a complete difference of opinion as you listening out there, but that is the whole point of living in this world, being able to adapt and conform and respect and to love other people that may not look the same as you, feel the same as you, celebrate the same religion, whatever it is, you you try to all get along together. And I watch a lot of these commercials over recent years. I mean, I joked about 10 years ago, we were going to make a website called the Black, a White, and an Asian, something like that, because almost every commercial that was featured about 10 years ago, and it goes way back longer. I mean, I remember Burger King commercials from the 70s where you had blacks, whites, and different ethnic groups all at the same table eating food, which is cool, but... I think people saw a big switch over the last 10 years where every store you go into, almost every home you go into, almost every function you go to, the group of people together is black, white, Asian. And they've also added a couple of other nationalities over the years. And they have same-sex commercials as well. But, man, if you watch a lot of the commercials these days, if you don't live with people of different colors or religions or ethnic groups, or if if you don't have them in your block, if you aren't diverse, then you could be labeled racist and that. And I've mentioned it so many times. I mean, it was sad because it was on the news about two years ago. But when I drive my girlfriend home, you know, she lives in Ozone Park, and I go through a stretch where everybody that's you know within a five block radius are all muslim they're all wearing you know the the their traditional garb the women all you see is the eyes in this and that and you don't find 
anybody else. You don't find an Irishman, an Asian, an Italian, a black person living on the same block. They are all, now are they racist because they can't live with other, no, it's, they feel comfortable. I mean, they're, they're amongst people. And I know what I've also said over the years that, hey, look, you know, maybe Indian descent, Muslims, you know, blacks, they kind of live together because they feel safer. They feel more comfortable. They feel they won't be, you know, uh, just uh, a target of racism. The bottom line is, you know, there's nothing wrong with a bunch of people of the same views and it's to live together. But when you do have someone move in on your block, when you do have someone that you interact with, you show the same respect and love that you would want for yourself. And that's how I look at it. You know, I remember a really good growing up Don Tony story, and it's a fucked up story, but I'll tell it anyway. It was about 30 years ago. At that time, I was working in Howard Beach. I would go to Butterfingers, which was a uh, a restaurant. And, and on the weekends, late at night, they would move the tables aside. They'd have a dance floor. They would play disco. You would have the cardboard gangsters come in and blah, 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 blah. So I knew a lot of people in the neighborhood. And there was an incident, and I'm not going to mention the ethnicities that were involved. I think you could probably figure out most of it. But there was an incident where somebody from the neighborhood was selling their house. And they were selling it to a family of a different ethnicity, an ethnicity that you didn't normally see in Howard Beach, and it caused an uproar. There were people in the neighborhood, the fuck, what the fuck is this motherfucker selling this house to these motherfuckers, blah, 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 blah. And it got to the point where they threatened to blow up the house. I mean, and this is wasn't just talk. I mean, cops were involved. I don't know if feds were involved, but I do know that that family never bought the house. They actually ended up selling it to a, a an ethnicity more, I, I guess, acceptable at the time. And it's fucked up. I mean, th- thank God things have changed quite a bit over the years. But, man, there are some people out there that really still can't conform in all races, white, black, and everything. And, you know, and the thing that annoys me so much about what goes on in this country right now, and, you know, yes, you look at history, you see how gays were treated. You see how blacks were treated. You see how women were treated. You see how a lot of different groups were treated. You know, but there's a lot of people out there that will use that past treatment as an excuse as to why they could be uh, hate-haters towards others. Or they could basically, you know, I always grew up with a phrase, you don't justify bad behavior with other bad behavior. That was something that my father taught me very, very young. And what happened in our past is really, really fucked up. But to use that as an excuse to be bitter now and this is and that. No, I don't, I don't, I don't accept that at all. I mean, to, to not trust certain people because of it. Fine. It doesn't make you racist, but still I see people really, really throwing a lot of hate online and you could see that they hide behind their sexual orientation. They hide behind their race. They hide behind whatever the situation is. And there's a lot of fear involved because if you retaliate or if you answer that person back or if you really get angry at that person, then you are accused of racism, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. It's a really fucked up 
country world that we lived in right now. I mean, there's a lot of good. I mean, good will always overcome evil, but evil will always wreak its ugly head. And, you know, you see with the mass shootings and I'm not going to get into everything that I got into on episode 26. If you missed that episode, go tune into it because I, I did take some questions from our patrons, which I will get into this week. And I promise you this episode is going to be much, much brighter than the last episode. And honestly, I have a couple of topics that I definitely plan on covering today. They'll segue however they do. But I noticed based on some of the questions that some of you out there obviously did not listen to episode 26 because that was right after what took place at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. And I had voiced a lot of my suggestions of what I would do to improve um, safety in schools and this and that. I put a whole checklist up there. And if you notice, a lot of those items are actually being addressed and something that happened yesterday. And I was going to do this show three days ago for everybody. But there was a lot of things that actually broke in the last three days. First of all, Florida signing that bill um, to strengthen security in schools. And they changed the, uh, the, the legal age of buying a gun to 21. And the NRA immediately filed lawsuit against Florida. So, you know, that took place yesterday. You had the announcement of Trump agreeing to meet with the leader of North Korea that they're going to talk this, you know, the this disarmament of the nuclear weapons. They're going to talk about it. Now, look, it, it, people, some of you asked, what are my thoughts on that? Um, you know, North Korea has bluffed and lied quite a bit in the past. All right. I have said, even when he started calling them rocket man, I said that I just love that Trump is getting in these people's faces, acting like a total dick, like a total asshole. And yeah, I know, and I agree to an assert, to a certain extent, that's not what a president should be. That's not how a president should be. And I, and I totally understand that aspect, but sometimes you got to treat certain people in this world a certain way. And one thing is coming across is that things that Trump says he's going to do, he's doing. All right. The tariffs on steel and aluminum. And some of you asked my thoughts on that as well. And I'll mention this very, very quickly. If you follow Trump's campaign, he talked about this. This is not new. This is something that he has talked about for the last couple of years. I mean, a lot of countries are taking advantage of us. And I'm not going to get into this whole social studies lesson right now or business lesson. If you don't know the logistics and how tariffs work and how much countries are tariff, you know, charging us, taxing us to have things enter their country, but yet we don't tax them the same on the way back. If you don't know all of those aspects, you have no right to comment and to say, wow, what Trump's going to do with the tariffs, you know, we're going to lose a lot of jobs and things are going to go up and, you know, oh my God, and steel and cars are going to be more expensive. I mean, even cans of food are going to be more expensive. You know what the fuck you're talking about? He, you honestly don't. One thing I notice, one thing I notice is that the majority of people that are bitching all over the world about what Trump did with the tariffs on steel and aluminum are usually people that are either not in business, all right, not in business at all, or are 
multi-millionaire billionaires that are nervous that they're going to maybe lose a little bit of profits because now they got to pay a little bit of tax. Okay, case in point, I think China makes 50% of the world's steel, but only, you know, a single digit percentage is transported into this country from China. But what happens is, is that China's steel comes into the U.S. through other countries as well. So we don't just have... 3% of China's total steel. It comes in from this country. It comes in from this country. It comes in from this country. So what, what does our country do? We tax it either by a couple of points, a couple of percentage points, or we don't tax it at all in just different aspects of trade. But when we send things to China, they'll tax us 20%, 30%, 35%. Look up the story about Harley Davidson's. And you'll, you'll get a great example there. So now what Trump is saying is, all right, you know, you want to tax us through the roof when we want to send things into your country? Fine. We're going to tax you back. And all the people that are bitching and complaining, again, are people that don't work in this type of business and have no clue what they're talking about or or millionaires and billionaires that may not make as much in profits. And the people that are workers in the steel industry that are a little bit concerned, they're concerned based on what everybody else is saying. But if you follow the stock market, the stock market went up 400 points yesterday. Yeah, big worries about steel and tariff. I Look, I, I don't look at my president, our president, as someone where every little thing he does turns to gold. No, I don't look at it that way. I tell everybody, since we're not in the steel industry as well, let's take a wait-and-see approach with it. Because yesterday he had a meeting with an, uh, a, the, an authority figure from Australia, and they're working out a deal, and they are exempt from this tariff. So Trump is going to make deals with a lot of countries, and those tariffs will not apply to those countries. So this isn't just a broad statement. I mean, I know there's some of you out there that despise Trump for, for various reasons. I respect that. But in the business standpoint, you have to look at it this way. The guy is a business guy. He's not a politician. He's successful in business. Has he had businesses that filed for bankruptcy? Absolutely. Not everything that he has done in business has turned to gold. Everybody that listens that are wrestling fans. All right, look at Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon right now is worth $1.8 billion. Has he done uh, every project outside of wrestling? Has it been successful? No, there's been failures. And our president is not immune to that as well. He will have failures. He will make mistakes. And he will change them as they deem fit. But as of right now, nothing has negatively hurt the steel industry in the United States. In fact, if you follow the news, one steel company just rehired 500 workers. Another company is going to invest $100 million. And the funny thing about it was I was looking for stories from steel companies that may have the opposite, you know, that may turn around and say, look, you know, uh, because of what's happening, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, to keep my company going. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do that. And when I started looking into their their stories, I'll give you one right now. And this one's all over MSN. And MSN, I got to tell you, you know, they don't get discussed all that much. I don't want to say they're fake news, but man, do they put up 
nonsense sometimes. I mean, I was reading like this big story that just to try to like scare people. I don't know if you've seen this, but they put this big story out there saying that Amazon and Costco are selling emergency kits that could feed a family for a year. And it's revealing a new normal in America. The fuck you talking about? I've been camping with my friends since I was 15 years old. I'm in my mid 40s now. And when you go camping, you go to Bear Mountain, Catskills, Adirondacks, and you stay in the mountains for two days, three days, five days at a time. What do you do when you pack food? You buy Mountain House. You buy dehydrated stuff. You buy stuff where all you have to do is add water. And when me and my friends used to go camping, you know, you know, you know, you have the internet. Thirty years ago, you didn't have the internet, and you would get these books for hikes and trails and where you could find lean-tos and streams that had somewhat decent water. And if you didn't want to carry gallons of water up and down trails for five, six hours on a hike, you would get a filtration kit. But what we would do is we would pack our entire bag with dehydrated food, dehydrated beef uh, stroganoff, dehydrated chicken stew, beef stew, chicken and vegetables, scrambled eggs with ham, Ice cream. I still buy the de- dehydrated ice cream. When I go to Rockaway to one, two days a week to spend with my family because my parents aren't doing all that well, um, I keep a lot of dehydrated food there. Not because I think my house is going to blow up, but because I'm there. I'm only going to be there a day or two. I don't want to put too much refrigerated products because they'll spoil. I don't want to lug it back and forth. So what do I do? I boil water. I put it in a lasagna kit. I let it sit for seven minutes. I stir it again. I let it sit five more minutes. I got fucking nice lasagna if my mother doesn't feel like cooking or if I don't feel like ordering delivery. All right. These dehydrated foods have been around for fucking 60, 70 years. There ain't nothing now. Maybe more people are buying it as a fear, but that's also because of storms in Howard Beach and Rockaway over here. I know that there's people that have a couple of cases of dehydrated food in their basement because if they do get a flood again and they lose power for three, four, five days at a time, at a time, or if something even worse were to happen, another Sandy or something, they want to have something on hand. And this stuff lasts for 10, 15, 20 years if you don't open it. So they got a lot of articles that really, I mean, I just think that they just are running out of things to talk about. But getting back into the steel that I was talking about, they talk about one company called Novolipsk, N-O-V-O-L-I-P-E-T-S-K, Novolipsk, whatever, all right? They import around 2 million tons of steel slabs annually from its Russian parent company it's russian parent company let me repeat that they're russian parent company they import it you know the big evil russia big evil russia and this msn article basically the guy is saying i voted for trump i did not ask for this i did not vote for trump to get this i may lose my job i may lose my company i don't know what to do maybe because i am russian i did not understand when when our president said it on the campaign trail 45 times that i'm going to tax steel and because we are getting gypped and we are losing 800 900 billion dollars a year to other countries who are taking advantage of us i ignored it or maybe i did not understand 
They're fucking importing all this steel from their Russian parent company, and now they're upset because they're being tariffed. Don't you get it? And MSN focuses on that to try to make it look like the steel industry is going to get hurt tremendously in the United States. We make more steel here. Instead of buying it abroad, you get more jobs here. Why do you think that company just rehired 500 people in the United States for steel jobs? They just felt like it? It was just coincidence? No. So, again, until we see products going up 30%. You know, I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday, and I don't want to bring up the restaurant because I don't want to cause any controversy because the restaurant is in Howard Beach, okay? Um, But if anybody that lives in my neck of the woods, if you use Grubhub, go look at some restaurants in Howard Beach, look at their menus, and you can figure out who I'm talking about. But we were going to order food last night, delivered. And I was going to get Italian food. So that narrows it down to about four restaurants. And if you think of the ones that deliver in Howard Beach, it narrows it down to three. And we were going to order, you know, a little bit of seafood, a steak, salad. So now when you think of steak and seafood, you can narrow it down to maybe one restaurant in Howard Beach. You can figure out who it is. So I go and grub up. I'm about to place the order. And I look and I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right here. And I realized that they raised all their prices. And they didn't just raise it a buck or two. Like a steak dinner before that was $24 is now $34. All right. We don't order steak and lobster tail. We're not fucking, you know, good over like that financially. But a steak and a lobster tail that was, I think, $36 a week ago is now $48. They raised a lot of their prices 25, 35%. Okay. Now, why did they raise it? My personal opinion. Because now we're in a tax year where the maximum deductions you could take in New York is $10,000. And a lot of businesses for many years have been taking an extraordinary amount of deductions. I'm sure some of them are legit, but I also think some people went way over the top. And now they realize they can't take these major deductions this year. So now, as a result, they're asking their customers to pay 25 to 35% more to just to eat their food. So what do you do? Okay, I'm just not going to eat with them. You understand what I'm saying? So, hey, if there is a steel company that decides that they want to import so much steel from countries that where we send it to them, we get taxed over the over through the roof, and they don't want to change or conform or change businesses to a different country, oh, fucking well, you deal with a different steel manufacturer. That's how I look at it. So... There is different options out there. And until we see across the board steel companies in the United States having major problems doing their own exporting, not importing, exporting, and we see prices for items going up 10%, 20%, 30%, I think we all need to have a wait-and-see approach with this. I, I think you would agree as well. Now, before I go any further, I want to welcome all of our patrons that sent in questions for this episode. And I want to shout out everybody tuning in, regular listeners, especially our international audience. You know, when I opened up this show, played a song you probably never heard before, and I'm liking the song. And up until this week, I had never heard the song either. But there's a pretty cool story behind the song that I played. Um, I've said for years that I have the greatest listeners amongst any independent show out there. And what I mean by independent show, uh, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm not a famous guy. I'm not a former athlete, a former politician, actor, actress, entertainer. 
I'm just me. So, you know, I'm amateur, I'm independent. We've And when I say independent, you know, I've had the opportunity to join big networks in the past. At one point I had the opportunity to join FM radio, which I did not do for, you know, I'm not going to get into the reasons again now. Um, someone had contacted me a while back about the idea of doing a show on Sirius Satellite Radio. And, you know, I don't want to get into specific reasons as to why it didn't happen because it may, you know, ruffle fetters of other people that are involved with podcasting as well. The bottom line is, is that it would have been a major uh, commitment to make and it would have had to have been major changes. And some of the people involved thought that, hey, I could retire from my job and just do this for the rest of my life. No, this is a hobby. This is still amateur, and it always will be. This will remain a hobby for me. I, you will never have me retire from my regular job to do this full-time. I just don't see it happening. You know, it's just there is so much demand out there for podcast and, you know, website. Everybody has a show, and I like my family here. There are so many people tuning in that have been listening going back 20 years. It's just, it's unreal. And when I say for years and years and years, I got the greatest audience, especially international listeners, just what, just put a smile on my face this week. You know, got one of our listeners that lives in the UK and his name is Ben. And he had said to me, he goes, Hey DT, cause I always talk about how I'm a member of these underground bootleg, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a group where you, you know, share music. And I know some people are going to be like, oh, that's fucked up. You're taking money away from it. I'm talking about like, you know, DJ stuff and music from the 80s and 90s, out of print stuff, white label, this and that, blah, 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 blah. Not stuff that you could find on iTunes. If I could find shit on iTunes, I would rather just get it from there than have to fucking try to trade people and, you know, get some records from Discogs that have been out of print for 20, 30 years. I collect music also. So I'm always talking about some of the groups I'm in. And Ben approaches me. He's like, hey, he's like, uh, there's this group from Australia. Um, they only made two albums. You know, they're not around anymore. They have no Twitter. They have an old MySpace that isn't updated. And half of their music is nowhere to be found online. There's like a couple of websites that claim that they got it, but they don't got shit. So he's like, do me a favor. See if you could find this CD. So I go on my underground thing. I'm contacted through SoulSeek. I'm going here and there. Everybody that I've been communicating with for like 10, 15 years, nobody has a clue. They're like, nah, nah, nah. So I go on one of my other shows about a month ago, and I said, hey, to all my listeners in Australia, I don't know if you've ever heard of this group, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, if you do and maybe see if anybody could find me the CD, it's for a friend, you know, good one of our loyalists to the show. We're one big family here. Let me know. So within a week, I get a message from this girl, Dina, from Australia. And she's like, hey, uh, I heard you were looking for this song. I got I got the whole CD. You want me to send it to you? And I'm like, yeah, you you don't mind doing it? No, 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 not at all. So I gave her my address. I asked her what you know if she wants anything special in return. She didn't want nothing in return. Just wanted to send it to me. So now you know this is what two weeks ago. I said, okay, you know, I'm saying to myself, all right, I'll believe it when I see it. Blah 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 blah. So what happens? Yesterday I got my mail, and sure enough, what arrives? The fucking CD. 
This guy, Ben, has been searching for this CD for like five, ten years. Can't find it anywhere. And, you know, I, I put it in to listen to it. And I was like, all right, what the fuck was this big hype that he ha- he was just dying for this, misses it, brings back memories. Of- and, you know, it's like five, six songs on the whole thing. But one of them was this song. And I listened to it, and I actually thought it was good. You know, I'm, I, I did a little research on the group, and there's virtually none online. But what I learned is that I don't think they really thought deep into what they were saying. But you listen to the lyrics of that song closely. That really does describe what life is right now for a ton of you out there, including me. That, you know, you're, you may change jobs from time to time. You may have different relationships from time to time. You may even change your address from time to time. But if you look back the last year, last five years, 10 years, 20 years, for a lot of us out there, it's the same data, different system. It's the same shit over and over and over again. And then what happens? Time flies by and you're like, wow, I can't fucking believe it's this many years. The other day I'm talking to someone. I'm like, wow, I can't believe married with children is already on here 30 years. Yesterday. Yesterday, I was going to do this show early, and then what pops on my feed? That yesterday, 25 years ago yesterday, MTV launched Beavis and Butthead for the first time. Now, I I want to clarify that because I think some people may not know this. Beavis and Butthead was featured a couple of times on MTV in 1992, but it was basically a skit here, a skit there. Um, They did uh, Frog Frog Baseball, I think, was the most infamous one, where they basically take a live frog and they're playing baseball with it. They're hitting it with a bat and stuff like that. It's fucked up, you know, but... People were in demand for it, wanted it, wanted it, were, were curious. MTV, you know, gave it to go for Mike Judge. Mike Judge made a whole bunch of episodes. And 25 years ago yesterday, it debuted on MTV. It either debuted at 2 o'clock in the morning or maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't remember what time I watched it for the first time, but I made sure that I saw the first episode. I still watch Beavis and Butthead to this day. I laugh because a lot of things that were said back in the 90s, they could still get away with it now. But you would have Twitter in an uproar. You would have social media firestorms. If you remember, Beavis and Bud had came back uh, several years ago. And instead of making fun of music videos, they were pretty much making fun of Jersey Shore, you know, 16 and Pregnant and some other stuff, and it wasn't the same. And you could also see that they had to avoid the little homophobic jokes and the little, you know, jokes about Mexico and gringo and this, this, and that. And yeah, you know, we have grown up as a society and maybe some of those things are no longer necessary. But you know, when you look at what happened in history and how big this was, I mean, a lot of people don't even know this, but Beavis and Butthead, I think it was 1997. It was in either 96 or 97. They actually presented an award at the Oscars. All right. I, I was going to play the audio, but it's not that funny. So you could go on YouTube and search it. They actually presented a war, an award at the Oscars. You know, so that just gives you an idea how big it was. But, um, 
you know, but it's just amazing how many years have gone by. And what I decided to do just for a good laugh, especially for those that may not have watched it in a long time, in a little bit, it got about a 10-minute audio montage of just Beavis and Butthead making fun of a few music videos. And I took, I actually watched a ton of them over the last couple of days to put a little montage together. And I put together about six different songs of things that they said that I think if you if they aired it live, you know, in 2018, the first screening, um, they would fucking go after Mike Judge like you wouldn't believe. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, speaking of Jersey Shore, since I said it, all right, like I said, people did send in questions for for these shows, and uh, I want to get into some of them right now. And it was, I think, Donald J. Trump that wanted to know with Jersey Shore coming back in April as Jersey Shore family vacation. Can I please at least do one review episode or running commentary of the show? He would love to see a genuine old school Guido rip into these clowns. I'm telling you, DJT, it is going to take me a lot to actually watch an episode. I have never watched a full episode of Jersey Shore. When it first came out, I turned it on for a couple of seconds, and I fucking turned it off. It's just, I hated Jersey Shore. It is one of the most, and I don't want anybody to turn around and say to me, are you just jealous because they partied and they got laid and they hung out with these chicks? I've said this so many times. Anybody that's ever been on my personal Facebook page, you have seen it. I even think I might've put this photo on my Twitter feed a long time ago. You could see a picture of me from 1989. Wearing a wife beater shirt. I hate using that term, but that's what they called it. It was a a sleeveless Hanes white tank top shirt. They called it a wife beater back then. I know it's fucked up. But you'll see me with grease pushback hair with the white tank top shirt, wearing two-tone jeans, big Christ head piece of jewelry, hair slicked back and greased. All right. Mustache a little bit extra penciled in to make it look a little bit darker than what it was because I was so young. And you see me standing in front of my two-tone Buick Regal that was fucking tan and blue. It was a two-tone Regal, two colors, top and bottom with two different colors. You look on the mirror in the background, it's got the fuzzy dice. It's got the, the that that horn, the red horn. It's a religious thing. I And I watched Jersey Shore and I'm like, wait a minute. I was around that shit in 1989. I have told growing up Don Tony stories of going to clubs and being in a club with a very young John Gotti Jr. And just you know, like getting like really pissed off at this guy. But I, res- you know, I respected the father. The father was friends with my family. You know, Victoria Gotti was friends with my family as well. They were very, very nice people. But John Gotti Jr., back in the early 90s, you know, he wasn't the, the nicest guy to deal with. But, um, you know, you go to clubs back then, you saw Jersey Shore everywhere. And a lot of this stuff, but this is what, people want they want to see clusterfucks on tv they want to see whack job people on tv in my honest opinion this jersey shore family vacation it's not going to be anywhere near 
popular what the original Jersey Shore was. Number one, they're older now. I'm not saying 30 is old or anything like that, but they're older now. You get to the point, you're like, all right, grow up a little bit. And what are they going to do? They're going to go fucking drink and pet animals and maybe do little skits. And you know some of this stuff is going to be watered down. And they'll probably fabricate a couple of fights. And isn't one of them going to jail for tax evasion or something? I, I just don't care about these people. I never liked the show. I fucking, there's a reason why none of them, for the most part, I mean, Snooki got a little bit of additional fame. I remember, you know, in wrestling, she did the WrestleMania shot. That doesn't mean that some of them haven't changed that are, you know, decent people now. But this is just desperation on MTV's part. This is just reliving, you know, uh, uh, rehashing and reliving something that was successful before to try to maybe milk that a little bit more. You know, you blew your load and you're trying to squeeze for a little extra drop out of it. And for the cast, with the exception of one or two of them, I mean, they're like, yeah, man, put me back on TV, please. You know, it's like a drug. You know, look, I'm in withdrawal. I'm having shakes. I got to do this. So I don't know if I could actually labor through one of these episodes and watch it. What he wants me to do is he wants me to watch it live and record my commentary as I'm watching this. I don't know. I really don't know if I could do that. You know, maybe if an episode comes on and I hear that it is just an absolute fucking clusterfuck disaster, maybe I'll watch a replay and then give you my commentary. But man, I just, I have no interest in watching that whatsoever. None. None at all. Shout out to Jason Allen. What are my thoughts on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? He feels he's the perfect example of a snowflake. Can't wait to vote him out of office. You know, look, I don't follow Justin Trudeau all that often. I don't follow it much at all. There's so many things going on in this world here. you know. But what I see with Justin Trudeau is this. He comes off as a guy that is really trying to fit in with everyone. He goes to a different country. He puts on their outfit. He tries to mimic certain gestures. He had a meeting recently and he tried to change, you know, regular words and use it a different way to try to sound like we're all inclusive in this and that. And he just comes off as a guy that probably really wants to do a good job for his country. I don't think that that there's no question of that. But he doesn't know that just being yourself and just you can be different and conform and get along with everybody. Like he feels that he has to, um, uh, I don't want to say uh, cater to people or put them on a pedestal or pander to them. But it just feels like he just has to try to conform to everyone else to get applause, to fit in. And no, Justin, be yourself. You don't have to change your outfit. You don't have to change your words. People know in your heart what your intentions are, what you mean. You don't have to change words to show that. You just be yourself. And that's something I don't see with Justin Trudeau. He is always trying to really pander to other groups, ethnicities, orientations, and is afraid to just, you know, be himself and speak his own words. And I don't want anybody saying to me, oh, well, maybe that's how he really feels inside. Well, you know, he go show me clips from five, 10 years ago of him doing and talking the exact same way.
you know, you don't have to change your vocabulary and your look to show everyone that you are inclusive with everybody. And that's the way it should be anyway. In our world, like I said earlier, you know, we should be inclusive of everyone, right? I, I I don't know. I'm not a fan of Justin Trudeau. He just comes off as confused, confused. I know he probably means well, but he, I don't think he realizes how ridiculous, you know, for the people that he's pandering to, for the most part, they appreciate what he did, what he does. But for everybody else, I think they could see it that, man, just be yourself. You know, you don't have to change, you know, vocabulary. We, we understand, you know, one nation under God, individual, you know, I know he's not in the United States though. Andrew 914. He recently saw a rerun of season one of ALF called Border Song, where the dad finds a Mexican boy in the streets, takes him into the house to stay until he puts him on a bus back to Mexico. ALF meets the illegal alien, and all jokes happen. My question is, do you remember this episode, and how would Snowflakes react to it in 2018? Ah! 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 I didn't like ALF. I didn't like ALF when I grew up. I didn't like it. I don't know why. I just didn't like it. I was more like into like Heathcliff and stuff like that. I did not like Alf. I know the episode you're talking about because not too long ago, somebody had posted a thread about, you know, this episode that they wanted to pull it off of the TV network that had popped up on a rerun recently and people were really angry at it and this and that. You know, it's just people are just way too overly sensitive. Um, and look, that's a rerun. If that was a new airing in 2018, and this goes back to my Beavis and Budhead comment earlier, you know, we're supposed to have grown as human beings over the last 20, 30 years. That, you know what, maybe you don't use terms like you did in the past, okay? Me, I know I still use vulgar language, but there are some words in my vocabulary that I have omitted, all right? I don't say the F word anymore. And I explained in the past why I used to say it once in a while. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, with the intention on demeaning someone, you know, that's attracted to the same sex. That's not why I would say it. But it still hurt the feelings of gays and lesbians that listen to the show. Out of respect to them, I chose I will not say that word anymore. That's why you don't hear that word anymore. I was never forced to stop doing it, but I have respect for those out there. That goes back to my whole argument about kneeling during the national anthem. All right. I totally understand why the football players are doing it. They have a valid argument. Yes, some of them changed their argument to protesting Trump. Fine. That's what you want to do. Fine. All right. But I just feel that, yes, not every military person objected what the players were doing. But there was enough military veterans that were very, very hurt and offended that they were kneeling. So there is no, oh, I have to get 100%, you know, one way or the other before I make a decision. Not every single gay person that listened to my show got offended when I would make tongue-in-cheek jokes. But there were enough out there that were offended to it. And me, as a human being, I was like, you know what? I don't want to disrespect them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, I stopped using that word well over 10 years ago i would say i don't even think of that word anymore even in my personal life i get mad at someone i call them matarats and it's funny because you tell that to someone sometimes and they're looking at you like what did you just call me you heard me stupid matarats 
it just sounds derogatory. You know, there's a lot of people like, I don't use it that often, but somebody, you know, it cuts me off or there was an asshole in the post office the other day and there was an old lady that her cell phone went off and, you know, she was trying to pay for her stamps and the cell phone went off, it's in her bag and she's trying to get it out of a bag and her hands are shaking and she's a very old lady and, you know, it's still going off with that, generic ring and this guy's like ma'am could you shut that fucking phone before i shut it for you i'm trying sir i'm just trying to get to and the guy was a real asshole and you know a few people in the post office like you know what the hell's your problem you know she's she's not and i called him a materats and he looked at me and he didn't say anything but he just looked at me like the fuck you just call me fucking materats so again the beavers and butthead argument is is that you know yeah in this year you may avoid talking about certain things that you would joke about 20 30 years ago um but you got to still find other things where you can you know push the buttons i mean there is nothing wrong in comedy and humor of pushing the buttons for a little bit and you can't just have it that well a black comedian could push the buttons on white people but the white comedian can't push the buttons on the black people you know, you, you, you see where i'm going it's not in favor of one or the other but you know i don't think alf would make the jokes like he did these days but you go back 20 years, and you know what? And nice little segue. Uh, if you don't want to hear it, by all means, this is the luxury of doing these podcasts now. You could take your mouse, you could take the slider bar and your player, and you could fast forward 10 minutes. But here is uh, 10 minutes of audio, Beavis and Butthead, just some of their comments during some music videos that I thought were hilarious. And uh, imagine if uh, this was said these days. Two of hearts. The bold new standard by which all of television will be judged. Triumph of the human spirit, not seen since my left foot. MTV's first foray into Emmy territory is a remarkable one. Once in a lifetime comes a program of such quality, one wonders how it ever got made. Beavis and Butthead premieres Monday, March 8th on MTV. Would you make out with her? <laughs> yeah. I'd be all over it. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's a guy, Beavis. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you want to make out with a dude. <laughs> He's got a nice butt, huh, Beavis? <laughs> Shut up, butthead. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> he's sexy, huh, Beavis? <laughs> Shut up, butthead. <laughs> I remember <laughs> This guy looks like a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looks kind of like you. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's supposed to be better than the Beatles and Elvis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not as cool as Metallica, though. <laughs> Why does he keep looking up? <laughs> <laughs> this dude sounds 
sounds like he was oh. neutered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is satanic country music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like killing myself. <laughs> What's up, Doc? Hey, a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> I thought I saw a pudding cat. What? I did. I did the Humpty Dumpty. I thought I saw a pudding cat. I did. This guy raps fast. That's not that fast. I can rap faster than that. Check this out. That was pretty cool, Beavis. Thanks. I've been practicing. Here's another one. Yeah. <laughs> this is 
wait a minute. <laughs> Check it out. Come on, butthead, change it. This sucks. No way. Change it, butthead, change it. This sucks. <laughs> this is a very gay tune. <laughs> yeah. You mean like happy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Debbie Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Would you say? No way. He's not even a boy. He's Boy George. <laughs> This video needs some, like, car accidents. Yeah, yeah, with lots of fire. <laughs> Then it would be cool. <laughs> hey, Beavis, is this supposed to be, like, in the future? Yeah. <laughs> the future sucks. Change it. <laughs> I'm pretty cool, Beavis, but I can't change the future. <laughs> Rico. Suave. Rico. Rico. Suave. Rico. Whoa. <laughs> That's like one of those really fat dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Change it. This sucks. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is that group with George Michael and Kenny G and Snow. Yeah. It's a super suck group. <laughs> hey, Beavis, you think if I sang like a wuss, I could get some chicks? <laughs> well, you look like a wuss. Shut up, Beavis. And you talk like a wuss. I'll kick your ass like a wuss if you don't shut up. <laughs> This is irritating. Yeah! Uh, just so you know, I think he just said on the bone. Uh, okay. <laughs> He's a dog lover. <laughs> Would you do a dog, Beavis? Let me think about that. You mean like, if I could never score with a chick? Yeah. If you could never score with a chick, would you do a dog? Hmm. Let me think. Let me think. 
I don't know, I guess, like, maybe a beagle would be nice. Or a Dalmatian or something. It depends on their personality. You do a dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I'd probably have to, like, go around, like, you know, sniff his butt first, you know? <laughs> that reminds me of this joke. There's these two dudes, and they see this dog licking its nads. And so, uh, they say... Why does it do that? And then the one dude goes, uh, because he can. And then he says, well, maybe you ought to pet him first. <laughs> so, so why does he lick his mat, then? Because he can. Um, get it? Not really. I mean, anybody can lick a dog's mat. So what? Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? <laughs> you put the boom boom into my heart You feel my soul sky high when your loving starts I do the boogie into my brain He's smiling at you, Beavis <laughs> Shut up, fuckhead My best friend told me what you did last night Left me sleeping in my bed I was dreaming this guy always likes to show off his butt. Yeah. <laughs> and his butt sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> How do you know? Shut up, butthead. I'll kick your ass. <laughs> this is one of those workout tapes. <laughs> Only if you work out to this tape, you end up looking like a wuss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This video is making me sick. Michael, are you crazy? Uh, I can't believe Michael what you're who? wearing, what you look like. Michael Jackson? In high school, you look <laughs> normal. I thought you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something normal like that. Normal, huh? <laughs> normal is something people are until you get to know them. Everybody's crazy. I think I just pooped in my pants. No way, really? I realized it was Michael Bolton, and my valves let loose. Boy, it's like he's trying to play heavy metal now or something. He could probably make any kind of music suck. Yeah, it's like he's probably going to do gangster rap next. Probably like, dropping plates on your ass, biatch. Yeah. Then he'd put the smack down. <laughs> How come chicks like this dude so much? Uh, there's some snakes and bombs in this. <laughs> Maybe he has a bomb in his pants. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to watch some old Beavis and Butthead later on. So great shit, great shit. Jeffrey Collins, is it me? When a mass shooting happens, media is to be blamed. For example, some people in government blame violence in video games and TV, then the lack of gun control and or mental health and the cause of the shooting. Jeffrey, it's, it's a bunch of things. I talked about it on the last episode. One of the biggest things that has changed since the 90s, because one of the biggest arguments, I'm not going to get into the whole de discussion again. You listened to the last episode for it, but I'll just say this. 
people you keep hearing say over and over right now is how why is gun violence in schools up so much since the mid 90s and social media and acceptance and you know notoriety is one of the biggest things it's a combination of everything man it's you know not having a stable home i mean how many times have you heard these people murdered that you know they had a bad breakup or they had, uh, you know, they didn't know their father. Their parents got divorced or someone died or this. So that someone left them when they were young. I mean, th- there's the problem there. You hear about a lot of these shooters being gamers. You know, I'm sorry. You look at some of the video games these days and it's very fucking realistic. And if I play this game day in and day out and day in and day out for a couple of years and I'm blowing people away and I'm seeing blood and guts and it looks so goddamn realistic, how's it going to be that much different when I go in person and start blowing up, you know, shooting up a joint? So people get it. It gets normalized. It get, it. That's what happens. All right. You take also into effect the, the fact that. You know, it's very easy to buy a gun. And yes, it's Second Amendment and everything like that. But, you know, in this day and age where everything is computerized, there is no reason why there can't be a database out there. And I've talked about this in the last episode as well. I had a car accident in 96 that almost killed me. I got permanent injuries that still hurt me to this day. Last night, you wouldn't believe for about two hours what I went through over here trying to deal with pain. That I just don't want to be a drug addict and, you know, take thousand painkillers so I can feel better. I go through so much crap. But the thing is, when I do go to my doctor and if my doctor does want to prescribe me something, even Celebrex, which is an inflammatory, what does my doctor do? He goes on the computer. He asks me for my date of birth, the last four digits of my social, and he looks in a database to see what medications I have been prescribed with over the last 30 days. He looks at that to see, number one, if I'm taking anything that could interact with what he's going to prescribe for me. But number two, he wants to make sure I'm not abusing anything. So explain to me why there can't be a database out there that somebody prescribed antidepressants. Somebody just prescribed this. A doctor, you know, felt this. You know, you always hear these doctors that they got the recorder and they're going, you know, blah, 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 was in my office and I felt that blah, 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 and they document it. Come on. In this day and age, there's got to be a database that if someone has some issues and they apply for a gun permit, whether they're 18 years old or 21 years old, they have a fucking seven-day wait check. You see, the NRA just sued Florida yesterday because they changed the age of buying a gun to 18 to 21. And a lot of people want to know my thoughts of that. I support the NRA. I disagree with the NRA, though, following the lawsuit. I disagree. People are like, whoa, you know, you, you, it's a constitutional right, and this, this, and that. What I would have done, because you know what people are putting out right now? And it, and it is a legitimate argument. You'll see it all over Twitter, Twitter for especially. People are putting down a, a photo montage of people in the United States over the last 20, 25 years who have committed mass murders. And they're putting the age next to each person. And almost every single person is over the age of 21 or at least 21. I think very, very few are under. And I agree with you. Oh, well, you know, if we could prevent one mass murder, then that's one, you know, that we. I understand that. You know what I would have done instead of maybe changing the age from 18 to 21? Seven-day waiting period. 
I want to buy a gun to protect my family. I want to buy a gun and protect my business. I want to buy a gun because I'm I'm afraid. All right, I could wait a week. All right, if I'm in such a dire situation, I I need a gun for tonight. I need a gun for tomorrow. Then I should be calling nine one one. I would have had a seven day waiting period, and I've also told this story before. I live in New York, do insurance for a living. I have a license to sell insurance in Florida. I have a license to sell insurance in multiple states. In order for me to get my license, and if anybody thinks that I'm lying, you could Google it and see the procedure yourself. Just look it up. Say, hey, I'm a New York insurance broker. How could I get license to sell insurance for Florida? I had to go drive from my house to Suffolk County, Long Island, about 45 minutes away, to go inside some building to get fingerprinted for the FBI. And my fingerprints went into an FBI database so they could check my federal and criminal history. I had to go through a background check. I had to go through all this stuff just so I could sell house insurance or car insurance to somebody in Florida. I waited two weeks for my results to come back and everything was clear. And yours truly now is the license in Florida. I had to go through a two week background check to sell insurance. You mean to tell me you can't have a seven-day background check for somebody that wants to get a gun? Seriously, think about that for a minute. What is the dire, dire... I saw somebody on TV the other day saying, you, you know what, uh, what about my uh, 18-year-old daughter that's being harassed? And if they change the age to 21, then my daughter, you know, she can't go out and buy a firearm. If your daughter's being harassed, whether, what if she's 16? Then she should be able to buy a gun at 16? My opinion... You do for her at 18 what you would do for her at 16 or what you would do for her at 14 or what you would do for her at 12. All right. So if the age is changed to 21, look, so be it. All right. I don't think it's it's trampling on the Second Amendment. And I understand some people like, well, if they could do that for this, they could also do it for this and they could change it for this. They could change it for that. And again, you look at the age of most of the people that do commit these mass murders, they are 21 and over. So changing the age, I don't think it's going to make a, tr- a tremendous difference in, in the crime. I watched people in Florida after this was passed yesterday. I saw mothers being interviewed saying, you know, it's one step in the right direction. It's one step in the right direction. And I'm saying to me, what, what happens now? You got an 18-year-old that wants to shoot up a school, can't go to Walmart to buy the fucking gun. So what do you think he's going to do instead of going to Walmart? He's going to go to Waldo, the fucking guy that has the the illegal guns and go through someone else. Maybe a little bit harder for him to get it, but if he really wants it that bad, there's a way of getting it. So you, this is just a tiny approach. You got to increase... Jail time for people that do commit any type of gun violation. All right. Violation. Not possessing a gun, but, you know, maybe if someone realizes, wow, I'd get 20 fucking years if I try to kill somebody with a gun or something like that. You know, you got to just, it's an overall approach. But me, background checks. That is one of the most important things. You do a mandatory seven or 10 day background check, let them check everything, have a database. And if someone comes back where there's a couple of red flags, then you know what? Then they have to go to another doctor or they got to see a local town, city, state, psychologist, whatever, to see if they are deemed okay 
to get a gun. That's it. All right? I don't like this. Why I got to wait three days to buy a gun? What the fuck do you need a gun that quick for? To go hunting? Oh, well. You should have thought about that when you planned the, 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 the trip two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or a month ago. All right? I'd rather see seven to 10-day background check with a database. The database is critical than just changing the age from 18 to 21. And you know what? Even if you do leave the age at 18, then you you get every store out there. Their own prerogative. I, I won't sell it to anybody under 21. Sorry, it's my choice. I won't sell it to you. You're 18. Sorry, my choice. So the laws could be 21 or 18, but the stores themselves could do whatever they want. It's their store. They have every right. They, you know, some people will try to file for discrimination. Uh, be pretty interesting to see somebody who is a whack job that's trying to get a gun for, you know, bad, bad intentions trying to sue the state because they, you know, a store won't sell them a gun. I don't know if they're going to want to direct attention onto themselves. But the video games, the culture we live in, the problems with the family, social media, you know, not being accepted, bragging online, you know, it's, 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 there's so many aspects that just make a perfect storm. Somebody could have a simple breakup in a relationship and it just puts them over the edge. There is no medicinal, you know, quote unquote, you know, you get the flu, you get a cold, you take a pill, you take some medicine and it gets better. There is no simple medicinal like solution. And I'm not talking about taking medicine to resolve this problem. There is no simple solution that rids of this situation. You know, there's a hundred million people in the United States that have guns legally. All right. What are you going to do? You get all of a sudden get rid of everybody's guns. You're going to make that. You want to make guns like that illegal? Fine. Like I said, you have the right to bear arms. You don't have the right to bear accessories. So, all right. With that said, uh, Diogo Nobre, shout out to you. He feels Donald Trump is on the path to reelection. Media is making the same mistakes by trashing him, and people seem to care more about the jobs than the tweets. If I had to make a bet right now, who will he be president in 2020? As of right now, I say, yeah, I think he will be president in 2020. I know there's a lot of rumors going around that Biden may run for office. The problem is, uh, you're if you elect Biden, you're not electing Obama. That's that's the thing. People were in love with Obama. It made history. You know, he wanted to, you know, hope and change. I totally get all that. All right, but people are seeing what's going on right now, and you will get people that will vote for anyone but Trump because they hate Trump. But there's not enough people in this country that is going to vote Trump out of office simply because they hate Trump. Now, if Trump screws up, if you know, if you notice, Trump is a lot better on Twitter now. All right, he still writes some you know questionable things, but nowhere near to the level it was a year ago. I mean, the whole thing about him being unstable—that's thrown out the window. His health—that's thrown out the window. You know, they're trying to grasp on anything. Now you got the Stormy Daniels situation. Yeah, they're trying to, you know, do, you know, they're trying to do other scenarios with Mueller, obstruction, and this, this, and that. I just think Trump needs to just keep doing what he's doing for the good of the country. You know, when they keep saying make America great again, they're calling that to be racist. Look, from what I see, 
you know, when we created 300 plus thousand jobs this past week, it wasn't 300,000 plus white jobs. You understand what I'm saying? So I think people are going to be smart enough to see, hey, you know what? I got more money in my pocket. More people are working. There's a positive outlook. I feel a little bit safer. I see this going on. I see that going on. Yeah, he might be a scumbag, but you know what? I feel like things are going, you know, business-wise are going the right direction. Like before he even got elected, what did I say to all of you out there? I'd rather work for an asshole that is going to, you know, have a successful business and I'm going to have a very good living and a comfortable job and just have a, a boss as a, as a prick than to have a smiley, pandering boss and I have less money in my pocket and I'm not happy and this and that, but my boss is a nice guy. No, I just think we needed some tough love. And, you know, it's very hard on young people out there because, you know, they, we joked for so many years, everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a prize. You know, everybody gets awarded. You know, there was no no second play. No, there's no loser. You remember, you've seen that. And look, when I was young, a kid, I still remember this to this day. He's a growing up Don Tony. I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but it's so true. All right, 1979, I won the Parish Award for my school, St. Margaret School. I was on Little League Baseball, and I played really, really good. I played center field, and I fucking kicked ass, and I was so proud. And so I got the Parish Award. I got to meet um, Oscar Gamble, who just died, and also got to meet uh, Ray Burris. They were both on the Yankees at the time. They came to our school. And I got to meet both of them, and I had my parish parish award. I had it up until about 10 years ago, and then somehow it just got lost. And I saw that award, and I was just so choked up at that. And I, I felt so happy. But the year before, swear on my mother who was sick, just to show you how serious I am with this. A year before, I was on the same team a year earlier playing, and I still remember this to this day. I was up at the plate. It was a tie game. There were runners on second and third, two outs. And, you know, I could have won the game. And I was the last man at bat. It was the last, you know, inning of the game. Two outs, runners on second and third, down by one run. So this is this is what you dream for. Driving in the winning run, getting hugged, this and that. I struck out. When I struck out, I still remember this. It's creepy that I remember this as a kid. As a kid, I picked up my aluminum bat and I threw it as hard as I could down the first baseline. Almost hit the first baseman, almost hit the coach in the head. And people like, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Are you nuts? Go home. You don't ever show your face here again. And I just started wailing, crying like a baby. I struck out. I screwed up. I threw a bat, almost hit someone severely in the head. And I was just resented, yelled at, cursed at. Little kid, threw a bat, crying. And I learned from that, that I'm going to bust my ass and do better. And the next year I won the parish award. I swear on my parents, it's not a lie. I still got friends. Anybody that's on my personal Facebook page, go look at my friends. They're in the same school as me, St. Margaret's. Go ask them. Some of them were on the baseball team. They will remember when I threw a fucking aluminum bat and almost hit a kid in the head and a coach in the head. So you have kids these days. Everybody gets a trophy. 
You know, everybody gets acknowledgement, participation. Even in wrestling, we saw like a couple of skits where they mocked it about, you know, getting a participation trophy. A lot of young people out there don't know anything else. They grew up in this real deep PC environment. So now you got people who are very brash, who are really standing up. They don't know how to react to it. And the people that they follow or they went along with as they grew up, they're seeing those same people call everybody else racist, homophobes, misogynists, this, this, and that. And they don't know how else to react to it but to feel that way. So it's 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 really, really tough. It's really, really tough right now. Um, but I, I do see as long as Trump, you know, gets everything done, and I, I want to see what happens with DACA. I really see what happens, what will happen with DACA because you notice nothing's going on. And you see Trump on TV saying, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm waiting. What's going on with DACA? Democrats know where to be found. You got to keep doing that. You got to keep pushing that and pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. You get DACA recipients in an uproar against Democrats. That will be like a snowball effect towards other illegal immigrants towards other legal immigrants that have family members who are illegal. And it'll, it'll trigger down into the Latino communities. And then you take all of that and then you realize that Latino unemployment and black unemployment are at, at record lows. Then they realize, you know what? The Democrats really were only using this for votes. So you won't get that in a regular politician. They'll be very PC about everything, be very, you know, cordial and professional about things. You know, I think it was the right time to get somebody in your face and fucking tell it like it is, whether you like it or not. And trust me, if anybody that's a regular listener to these shows knows that I have disagreed with Trump on several topics. I'm not a Trump worshiper. I root for him. I I always liked him. You know, I've told personal stories about Donald Trump here. So, you know, I I see the success and I've seen his success for decades and I just feel like this the number one thing with Trump is ego. And I think everybody will agree with me on that. And how better to feed his ego than to make this country the best it possibly could? That is the ultimate ego booster for him. Don't you want someone with a crazy ego like that? That just really you know, not to the not at the expense of others. Not that at the expense of others. I totally understand that. But I think success will lead to another term. We'll wait and see. Rich Diaz, is there a relationship, whether it be a romantic one or just a friendship that ended that I wish it would have not? Yes. Yes. Uh, another growing up Don Tony story. First girl that I ever had a serious, semi-serious relationship with. I might have told this story once before. Her name was Lori. L-A-U-R-I-E. I won't say her last name because she actually is on social media. I haven't talked to her in 15 years, but, you know, friends of mine are friends with her. So I see that she's still around and everything. But this is a true story. My first first car I ever got was a Cadillac, my father's car, a green Cadillac. I talked about it with Scumbag Alley and everything like that. But my first true car for myself was a Trans Am, 1983 Pontiac Trans Am. Look just like the car from Knight Rider. If you ever go on my personal Facebook page, there are a couple of photos of that car. You'll see me posted there from uh, late 80s with that car. Fucking love that car. So right at that time, I started dating a girl. Her name was Lori. 
um, Italian, cute, very nice, respectful, really, really awesome girl. And, you know, I'm a teenager. So we dated for about eight or nine months. And we had, we didn't have a, we sort of had a breakup, but we didn't. We just had an argument. And me being the immature baby that I was, I thought, okay, I'm going to embarrass the shit out of her. I showed up at her house, in front of her house, uh, late at night with my friends. And anybody that knows about these older Trans Ams, that you could light up the tires. That was the big thing back then. Light up the tires. Posse rear. Anybody remember that? So I was in front of a house, and I started lighting up the tires. Woke up the whole house. Father started running outside. The fuck you doing? This is an ad. I cranked the radio, drove away. It was the biggest prick. After that, she's like, the hell with you? I, I don't even think she cursed me out. She, she was that nice. It's like, the hell with you, it's over, this and that, we broke up. And probably for the next year or two, there were people that were trying so hard to get us back together. She wouldn't go, she wouldn't commit, she wouldn't commit. And people to this day will say to me once in a blue moon, wow, I thought you and Lori really were going to be mad. I mean, we were just like the perfect couple at that time. And it was so stupid the way we broke up. Now, look, in hindsight, I'm glad that we broke up. I wouldn't have met, you know girl I'm dating now happy as a pig and shit right now but um back then you know it was like the perfect couple so anyway long story short uh about six or seven years later about six seven years later I was in high school and uh well no actually you know what I I I just graduated high school I think yeah just graduated high school and I think I was just lonely I was just lonely. And I had talked to a friend of mine who was dating a girl who was friends with this girl. I was like, hey, you know, you, you find out Lori's number, you know, where you, you know where she lives now. And it ends up that she lived in Glendale. She had moved from Middle Village to Glendale. So somebody gave me her address and um, I had the balls. I mean, I just wanted a rare times that I had a set of balls to do something like this. But I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take a drive to her house. I'm going to ring a bell and I'm just going to say hi. I'm going to just say that, you know, I forgot her address from someone. I happened to be in the neighborhood. I say hi. So it was about seven years later. I drive up to her house. I ring the bell. She answers the door. Beautiful as ever, this and that. She's like really, really happy, surprised to see me. And I was like, hey, you know, I talked to so-and-so. He told me that you live here. I actually, you know, know a friend of mine down the block, blah, 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 blah. So we started talking about 15 minutes. And then I was like, oh, so you seeing anybody? And she's like, yeah. She says, I'm actually engaged to this guy at college and this, this, and that. And at first I thought she was just full of it. Maybe she just didn't want to, you know. But she had the engagement ring on her finger. In the background, you could see the picture of her with this guy. And I walked out of there so fucking dejected. I felt like, wow, I just, I lost a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, for a very long time, I, I just felt like, man, you know, what an idiot I was that day. You know, if I didn't just, if I would have never shown up and lit the tires like I did, you know, but I will say this, I have dated other people, you know, over the years. And for me, for the most part, I can't be friends with someone who I had a relationship with and break up with. I can't. It's just, that's just the way I am. And at the same time, me and my friends respect each other. That if one of my friends broke up with someone, 
Like we would never think about dating one of our friends, even if they dated for a short period of time, because that did happen once where one of my friends was seeing this girl. I'm not going to mention any names because some of my personal friends do listen to these shows and, you know, I don't want to name drop. It's fucked up. But one of my friends was dating this girl for a little while and they broke up. And one of my other friends, you know, she started making the moves on him. And my other friend was like, no, I can't do that to so-and-so. Can't do it. So me, I just, the funniest one was, um, and I know, like, if anybody goes back to my uh, beginning of my Twitter feed, you could see it. Right before they closed Shea Stadium, I had talked about this before. I went to one of the last Met games at Shea Stadium. And, in fact, I went the day that it was the 17th game that was remaining because Keith Hernandez was in center field. And I still, I have a video, I recorded it. He's in center field, he reveals the number 17 for the number of games remaining at Shea. He pats the the fence like, you know, thank you for the memories. And he walks away. You can see he was a little choked up, but it was a really nice moment. Glad I capped it on on video. And um, that game, I think Carlos Beltran hit two home runs, but there was this pitcher, Aaron Heilman, that I hated. And he fucked up the game. Got booed off the field. I recorded it. He sucked this and that. And I had awesome seats. I think it was the second row behind home plate. And I was with, I was started seeing this girl. And this was not too long ago. This was what, 2008, I would guess you would say around that time. With the same year that the Giants won the, the, the Super Bowl. And um, you could hear in the background. And we were talking and I was describing her about Aaron Hyman, this and that. But within a couple of days, we just, you know, I just realized that this was not the relationship for me and we broke up and she's like, you know, uh, you know, your family knows my family. You know, what if I see, you know, what if I'm shopping in the store and I see you, you know, could you at least say hi? And I was like, look, if you see me look the other way, pretend like we don't even exist. (laughs) I was like, I'm not interested in being friends. She wanted to be friends. And I was like, nah, I'm not looking for friends. No, thank you. And uh, I, she she was really upset at that. She's like, wow, you won't even like be friends. I'm like, nah, I don't go that way. I'm not friends with ex-girlfriends. And that was it. So uh, Alan Pierce, my opinion on Jimmy Kimmel, he wants to be a politician so bad. Jimmy Kimmel one day will try to run for office. Um, the problem is his leftist views, he does have some valid, valid arguments, Problem is, is that they are so one-sided and they're so incomplete that, you know, you can't just vote Oprah in because you like her, because she's such a positive influence. You can't just vote Jimmy Kimmel to even local office simply because you like him and he sounds like he makes sense and his and his monologues make sense and he has the same complaints. You know, it's very easy to complain, but it's much harder to fix and resolve. And this is something that I learned doing podcasting. I learned this about 11, 12 years ago. You know, I used to joke and make fun of a lot of other shows out there. And yeah, I still hold people to task now, but I will bring up reasons why I will address someone in particular. But if you notice, I rarely ever bring up a specific person's podcast. Very, very, very rare. But 12 years ago, used to make fun of everybody. And then I just really started realizing to myself, thinking to myself, and this is advice to any podcaster out there. You want people to listen to you because you're good, not because people are bad. And once 
that I really started letting that sink in and, you know, stick into my mind, that's when I decided, you know what? I want people tuning in for me because I'm good, not because others are bad. And you don't want to put Kimmel or Oprah or anyone else in office simply because you think Trump is bad. You have to honestly feel that they are good, that they are going to make necessary changes to make this country more successful, pay down the debt, this, this, and that. And you can't just use a simple, oh, just tax the rich. You have to have, you know, specific solutions. And you have to have success in business. To start. You have to have success in, in, in business. And yes, Oprah is successful in business, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, you have to make sense. You can't just make one-liners. And I'm going to say something now, and I know it's going to ruffle some feathers, but I have to say it because it's a great example. My wrestling fan listeners will get this. I uh, was on my Twitter feed yesterday, and I saw that my co-host, because you know I follow him and a few others, they were complimenting a wrestling podcast about a comment that they said. And he thought it was so fucking hilarious. And he's like, wow, what an awesome line. LOL, LMAO, LMFAO, LMFFFAO. You know, just an awesome fucking line. And I looked at the line. And the line basically said that the reason why fans said that Duke the Dumpster Drossy versus, I don't know, Hillbilly Jim was great was because you were seven at the time. And, like, everybody thought that was, like, a brilliant line. And I'm not saying this in any negative way against the podcaster. It is a funny fucking line. And I understand his point. But the thing is, is when I took a step back for a minute, and I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. I don't remember anybody saying that Duke the Dumpster, Drosy versus Hillbilly Jim was a great fucking match. And those, those weren't the two people that he chose. I don't remember the two, two that he chose. I don't remember anybody saying it was a great match at the time. We may have cheered because there was a good guy in the match. I don't remember anybody saying, wow, did you see that Trollsy match? That was fucking great. So just because something sounds entertaining or sounds like it makes sense doesn't necessarily mean that it makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? So you have to have specific solutions. And, you know, that's why, like I said, Kimmel and others, they will at one point try to run for office and maybe local office. But saying some lines that sound good and sound right and sound catchy, you got to take a step back and dissect them a little bit. And then I think once you do, you start to say, oh, you know what, All right, yeah, but whatever. How do I feel about the Mets this season? I don't know, man. I, uh, I see... You know, players that I, I just can't understand why they didn't sign Lucroy. I mean, I have no problem with the, with their catching situation, but adding Lucroy would have been a plus, and you could have got him for one year contract for like six, seven million. I mean, come on. I mean, you're going to be that fucking cheap. I know he didn't have the greatest 2017, but it's not like he's 40 years old and retired, you know, on the verge of retirement. And there's other players out there as well. Now, outfielders, obviously, they can't do anything with. First base, you know, Aegon, we'll see where it goes with him. The pitching is really going to be, you know, the, what matters. And they did improve their, you know, their their middle relief. 
The closing situation, you know, familiar could be a little bit iffy at times, but I think if things click, they could very well be a 92 to 94 win team. But I kind of feel they're more like an 85 win team. I just feel it. I mean, I Wheeler, I'm hoping, really bounces back. I mean, there's a few other pitchers as well, Harvey and two, but I think they're more in the mid-80s as far as a, a team, as far as their wins. Ben Salmon. Uh, I mentioned in the past how I use Raspberry Pi for playing old games. How would I explain what the Raspberry Pi is to someone who's never heard of it? And what would they need to get started with one? First off, I would go on Google, type in Raspberry Pi, P-I, not P-I-E, P-I, and video game. And there are websites that sell the kit. It looks like a little box. It's probably probably like the size of like a Roach Motel. I'm trying to think if there's a better way to describe it. It's like a little Roach Motel. And it's a little computer. And the computer... Uh, obviously it, it costs you 50 bucks, 60 bucks. So don't expect anything that's going to, you know, run wild or anything like that. And you have to put in like an external little thumb drive as your source for storage and memory. And basically you hook up a joystick to it. And if you have the right software in there, you could play video games with this little Raspberry Pi. Now people use this little Raspberry Pi for a lot more than just video games. If you go on Amazon's website, they sell Raspberry Pi there and they sell kits. But my strongest advice to anybody out there, even for a little project, if you don't like it, throw it away, give it to someone else. You're only spending 50 bucks, you know, maybe a hundred bucks if you decide to get some joysticks and depending what you want to use it for, but go on Google Look up Raspberry Pi and look at the ideas people have used with it. And it's a fun little way to do things. And with old video games, you can play video games with the Raspberry Pi. On eBay, there are people that sell these tiny little countertop video games that have like 100 games in them. And inside the the component is this little Raspberry Pi. But it is not powerful at all and to be honest with you i do not play computer games anymore with the raspberry pi i still have it and i have it at rockaway so if i'm bored i want to play a quick video game like i'll whip it out i have the wireless uh, playstation controller that works with it but for the most part i don't use it anymore i have a little video game console now a countertop one that has like 80 games in it and it's got all the retro stuff and it play it's I gotta take a picture of it. I'll put it online so everybody could see it. That's what I use now to play video games. It's fucking awesome. And if I end up moving to a different location, which may happen in about a year and a half, two years, and I have a lot more room, I am gonna be setting up a rec room. And I definitely plan on having in that rec room like a couple of different, you know, video game components in there. You know, the the one thing is you know, there's some places out there that sell this looks like a gigantic joystick. And inside this gigantic joystick is the video game console system. And there might be a thousand games inside it. And what you do is you hook up an HDMI cable from this gigantic joystick to your TV and you play the video games on your TV. That is something that looks a lot of fun as well. I have not bought one yet. I've been thinking about it. But Raspberry Pi, like I said, 
go online, do your searches, and see all the different uses people have with it. It is a lot of fun. It really is. You can watch movies on there, and it's so inexpensive that, you know, and you, and you can plug in it, um, a cable modem to it as well. So go, go look it up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Jonathan, uh, what do I think of Fox and WWE possibly having a TV deal? Many speculate Fox wants to recreate the Monday Night Wars in the form of these two companies. Listen to me. Anybody telling you that Fox wants to create Monday Night Wars between UFC and WWE, that's fantasy. All right, because you could look at it on the surface and say, hey, if UFC and WWE, and I know this show is not about wrestling, this is more about business. Um, WWE and UFC, hey, if they're competing with each other, they'll strive to put out the best product possible, which will generate more people to tune in, and it's better business for both of them. Sure, absolutely. But at the end of the day, Dana White and Vince McMahon are not partners. Dana White and Vince McMahon are business executives. They own corporations. They own companies. They don't want to share the wealth. And I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams in 1998 or 1999 thought that that within two years, WCW would be out of business. Even though WCW in 2000 wasn't that great, it still generated okay ratings. I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams thought in 2000 it would go out of business. People thought it would be sold. The AOL Time Warner merger obviously you know, helped help with that. People thought it would be sold but would still remain on TV and it'd still be you know, enough money generated where you know, people would jump ship back and forth. Nobody thought it would go out of business. People realized it would go out of business within a week or two that's that's really once they lost their tv deal that was it that's why you realize the importance of a tv deal it, it now it's a little different because you know when you have all these streaming services this and that but back then wcw no tv deal they're done they're done you realize how much money they paid for it i mean that the money that wwe paid for wcw is less than what they paid brock lesnar just think about that so now real real realize this when you have a war, like the Monday Night Wars, the idea is you are trying to get everybody to watch your product. Maybe not necessarily with the idea of putting the other person out of business, but if that happens, so be it. Bischoff thought he could knock Vince out of business. Vince wanted to take as much people from WCW as possible, fans, and watch his product, and Vince in his product. So do you really think that Fox wants two giant conglomerates competing with each other to try to boost their product to drive the other person out of business. It's just natural business. You know, what happens if WWE really overtakes UFC and really, you know, like just really like changes their product to the point where, you know, UFC becomes, you know, starts losing money. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, Oh, well, the Monday awards were Fox is not going to, maybe they'll have some competition. But for anybody to classify a Monday Night Wars, never worked in a real business. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm not trying to single out anybody out there, but anybody out there that thinks that you, Fox wants UFC and WWE to recreate Raw versus Nitro, 
they're in, they're just dumb, flat out stupid. All right, competition, yes, but Monday Night War, dumb, stupid. Mario from the Barrio. Do I see more celebrities attempting to be politicians because of J.I.? See, I didn't look at these questions before. I looked, I skimmed through them. But yeah, go back to what I said before about Jimmy Kimmel and Oprah and others. Um, It is not easy to run for office. Stacey Dash, really, really, really good person. Um, I follow her. And I only follow about 100 people on Twitter. Um, Some people I follow because I have no choice. Not that I want to, but... I follow her on Twitter because I do think she's a very smart woman and she's trying to run for office, California. Personally, I don't think she has a shot, I, but I'm rooting for her. Um, but she has specific views and reasons why she's running. She's actually offering solutions. The problem is, is that there's so many people out there that don't really take, take the time to try to see what the solutions are. They just want that quick promise, that quick fix, quick, you know, whatever. And, you know, they just won't give, you know, someone, you know, the time of day. And anybody in the in the, the entertainment field, they would have a very difficult time because it's not a popularity contest in the end. You know, it really isn't. I mean, you popularity will help you to a certain extent. Absolutely. But when you have big time problems going on in this world, sometimes you you choose someone that will give you the best solutions, not just because they give you the best feeling inside, you know. And finally, Kyle, uh, he wants to get a recipe from me that will actually make it home. What is my favorite Italian meals to cook that's not too difficult to make? I always go to the pasta gulagia, linguine with garlic and oil, my favorite. I mean, the recipe is actually on YouTube. I think TV Tracks put it up there if you want to just listen to that clip. I mean, look, as far as Italian recipes, I mean, I, I like eggplant parmesan, which is good. Tortellinis are great. I don't know if you like like a tortellini alfredo. I mean, raviolis, manigots, manicottis, some people call it. You, know, you could buy that in a really good Italian store, a pasta store. As far as making something from scratch, I mean, is what really, you know what I'm saying? Like lasagna, I, I, it's hard to give a recipe like that over the phone right now because of all the, the ingredients involved. You know, for me, you know, a nice simple thing, If you've, I don't know if you've ever had bruschetta, but you could do something like this, simple as this. There's a bruschetta mix is you take tomatoes, you get really good on-the-vine tomatoes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google on-the-vine tomatoes. These are tomatoes. They'll still have, like, the green vine attached to it. Get some really good on-the-vine tomatoes. Dice them into little cubes, almost like guacamole, but, you know, just a little bit bigger than what you want to make for guacamole. Put some onions in there as well, chopped onions. Olive oil, balsamic vinegar, absolutely balsamic vinegar. Uh, Rayo, R-A-O, has two types of balsamic vinegar that are awesome. Problem is they're very expensive. A tiny bottle is 20 bucks. Um, they have a sweet one and they have a darker one. Uh, for salads, I like to use the lighter, the sweeter one, but either balsamic vinegar will do. So you take the tomatoes, you take the onions, balsamic vinegar, olive oil, you mix that all together, a little salt, a little pepper, some people might add a tiny little bit of garlic to it. And then what you could do, get some 
uh, good uh, nature veal cutlets. If you like chicken cutlets instead, you could have that or nature veal veal cutlets. Get some eggs, some seasoned breadcrumbs, a little bit of grated cheese, and then all you do is you take the breadcrumbs, add a little grated cheese to it, mix it around. You take your veal or your chicken, you dip it into the egg, the raw egg. Some people will even add a little milk to the raw egg to give it a little bit more better consistency. Then you just take the veal, dip it into the egg wash, as people call it, put it into your breadcrumbs, file, uh, f- fry it, fryer, fryer. Uh, just beef some about it. Fry it in a frying pan with um with oil, you know, for a couple of minutes until it's cooked, and then you take that veal cutlet, drain it on some paper towels to get some of the excess oil off of it. Put the veal cutlet and chicken cutlet in a the dish. Then you take that bruschetta mix and you just pour it right on top of it. So you have the hot veal or chicken cutlet over the bruschetta mix. You even have a little bit of Italian bread on the side. Mm, absolutely awesome. I'm telling you, it's fucking awesome. In fact, I'll give you another little variation. All right, you could do uh, veal or chicken capricciosa. C a p r i c c i o s a. You could Google it. You'll get some ideas there as well. The way I make my chicken or veal capricciosa, make it the same way I just said: the tomatoes, the onions, the olive oil, balsamic vinegar. But this time, you add a little bit of arugula, so it's almost like a salad. So it really is a salad. So it's the salad, the the tomatoes, the onions, olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and you'll just, oh, my God, it's so good. In fact, no joke, when I go out to dinner once in a while, this restaurant in Howard Beach called Bruno's, and that's not the restaurant I was talking about before that inflated the prices, by the way. It's not them. But when I go to Bruno's, one of my go-tos always is chicken capricciosa. They give me two gigantic fried chicken cutlets, little broccoli rob on the side, a little bit of potatoes, and then they have the mixture of the tomatoes, the onions, balsamic, olive oil, arugula, out of this world. So with that said, I'm out of here. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Blah, Blah, Blah. A little bit of everything. I hope you enjoyed that little Beavis and Butthead montage. Just brought back memories for me. Just, you know, amazed that it's already been 25 years. Um, I mean, doesn't feel like it just came out yesterday, but that uh, was a huge show for me back then as a fan. Growing up, I mean, it was just funny, funny shit. Um, yeah, it was outlandish at times, but it was just two clueless kids doing stupid shit, and uh, it was a huge thing. Again, they were presenters at the Oscars. That should tell you something. So, all right, everyone. Uh, when will I be back with your next edition of Blah, Blah, Blah? As of right now, my plan is to do it bi-monthly. I would lean towards two weeks from today, which would be the 24th of March. Um, That weekend is actually my birthday, and then the following weekend is my girlfriend's birthday. So I may release an episode during the week and not necessarily do it on a Saturday, but I would pretty much guarantee that you will have another episode in about two weeks. I don't want to stay stay on a specific set schedule because then I don't want anybody to be like, oh, are you doing an episode today or not? So, you know, when the episodes are needed and warranted, I'll obviously do them. But the one thing that I am starting to try to have as a goal with these episodes is to talk about topics that really don't get outdated all that quick. What I mean by that is you could tune into the previous episode. You could tune in two months earlier. And most of the content that is discussed 
is still current. It's still, you know, my views and opinions. Yeah, we might have talked about the Super Bowl, which has already taken place, this and that, but for the most part, I'm trying to have these shows have topics and discussions that, you know, maybe a year from now are still fresh and still needed to be discussed. So that's one thing I'm trying to, you know, really instill with these shows. And it wasn't planned that way, but it kind of feels like, you know what, that's the right way to go about this. Have discussions that we could continue to have, not just because the episode is an old episode. It's definitely topics that we could still continue to talk about. So everyone, I'm out of here. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy this weekend. Be well, and I'll catch you all soon. Ciao.